Will you please turn with me in your Bibles this morning, once again, to the seventh chapter of the Gospel according to Mark, where we will be looking together at verses 24 through 30. That's Mark chapter 7, 24 through 30. And you can find that passage on page 988 in your pew Bibles. As we continue to make our way through Mark's accounting of the gospel, we come this morning here in chapter 7 to what I would call a portrait of what true biblical faith looks like in the life of one who by the, the grace of God is found to be in actual possession of it. Of course, we've looked at biblical faith many times together. And we have seen that it is always one of those things that truly separates us as the people of God and sets us apart to Almighty God. It always transforms the one who receives it. It always marks us out in this world as the legitimate children of God and heirs of every eternal blessing in Jesus Christ. Not just in future glory, but even right now, in this fallen, sin-ridden world that we inhabit, in this corruptible flesh that we all wear. As Christians, as those who are united with Jesus Christ by faith, you and I are called to many things in this life. Our lives are to be lived as those who truly have been set apart by the grace of Almighty God. We are to be, in fact, we will be different from those who live as if there were no God or as if they themselves were the closest thing to God. And it is faith which embraces the wonderful truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ alone that specifically sets us apart. And it's not just blind faith. It's not what we would call fideism or faith and faith itself. It's a very particular faith. And it always manifests itself in the children of God. The catechism brings us some degree of clarity concerning what we believe the scriptures to teach us about biblical faith. And the answer to question 21 It's one I'm sure many of us know by heart. We talk about it a lot. It asks that question, what is true faith? True faith is not only a certain knowledge whereby I hold for truth all that God has revealed to us in his word, but also a hearty trust, which the Holy Spirit works in me by the gospel, that not only to others, but to me also forgiveness of sins, Everlasting righteousness and salvation are freely given by God, merely of grace, only for the sake of Christ's merits. And beloved, when we fully grasp this precious truth through the power of the Holy Spirit working in us, we then not only embrace the word of God as the whole truth, but we have that hearty trust in his word. We don't just know it, we trust it because of the glorious message of Jesus Christ and the gospel. The message that we are entirely, completely saved 
from the wrath that we know we deserve. We are then set apart. We are marked out as those who receive mercy, even though we have truly earned wrath. So we are made different from the world by faith. And sure, we, we live with the, the many deficiencies of our fallen flesh. Our flesh, which is always at war with the Spirit of God within our members, constantly tempting us towards sin. But according to the Scriptures, we have been made new in Jesus Christ by faith. And if we know what that entails, then we of all people will be manifestly grateful to God for that new life in Jesus Christ. The clear teaching of the Bible is that by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone, solely because of God's grace alone, the old man, that is the old nature, is dead. And by the grace of Almighty God, the new man is being quickened by the very Spirit of God. And that is, of course, great news for the believer. And it should always lead us to live lives that display true, genuine gratitude for that salvation. Beloved, we should be thankful. And our lives should bear the fruit of that thankfulness. We are grateful because of faith allowing for us to see the glory of Jesus Christ. And when we've embraced that truth, we begin to see the full array of spiritual blessings that are ours because of our union with Him. One of those blessings is that our communion with Almighty God is now restored through Jesus Christ. And that now, as a result, you and I, as the people of God, can come and enjoy, we can even long for that communion. We come and we pray to the Father in and through Jesus Christ. We are called in the Word of God to boldly approach the throne of grace and obtain mercy, to find help, grace to help us in our time of need. What a privilege! You and I have been given in that we have been called to pray and we have been called to to lay out our petitions before Almighty God. Beloved, have you ever considered the blessing that truly is yours because God has called you to come before Him? The creator and sustainer of the universe and pray. Because of Jesus, Because of our great high priest, who we are told sympathizes with our weaknesses, we can approach through this avenue of prayer the very throne of Almighty God. We can cry out to Him, knowing that He hears us, knowing that He calls us His children, knowing that we truly have an advocate in heaven in Jesus Christ the righteous. We are told is sitting at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. Knowing that the very Spirit of God Himself is within us, driving us even to prayer. So by faith, we are set apart. And as those who are set apart, we are called to pray. 
We are called to cry out both our praises and our petitions before the face of God. And this morning, I'd like for us to look at just one example of this kind of prayer of faith, this petitioning of God from a heart that has been transformed by faith in Jesus Christ that's here in this text before us in Mark. And it's only one of many such examples that we find in Scripture. We see this kind of petitioning of Jesus and other examples. We've talked about them before. We've talked about the, the nobleman's son at Capernaum or the Roman centurion and his servant, the Philippian jailer. In all of those examples, there are certain characteristics that are always present in the possessor of true faith. And it's my hope this morning in looking at this humble Syrophoenician woman's example of petitioning the Almighty to bring just a few of those qualities of the truly faithful in prayer into the light. So I'd like you to follow along as I read this morning from the Gospel according to Mark chapter 7. Again, we will read 24 through 30. Hear now the word of our Lord. From there he arose and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and wanted no one to know it, but he could not be hidden. For a woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard about him. She came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, Syrophoenician by birth, and she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. But Jesus said to her, Let the children be filled first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she answered and said to him, Yes, Lord. Yet even the little dogs under the table eat from the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this saying, go your way. The demon has gone out of your daughter. When she had come to her house, she found the demon gone out and her daughter lying on the bed. This is the word of our Lord. May he always bless the reading of it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're grateful this morning for this time in your word. We pray that you would clear our hearts and our minds of the the many things that distract us in this life. Might we give your word our full attention so that hearing it through the power of your spirit, we may be transformed by it for your glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We are told very, very little here about this woman who approached Jesus Christ in the region of Tyre and Sidon by simply falling, we are told, at his feet. We do not learn her name, or really anything of substance about her family or her personal history, her her story, if you will, save that her daughter was apparently severely oppressed by an evil spirit. We know that Jesus had just left Galilee where he had performed many miracles and wonders before the eyes of the Jewish people. He had also given, just given one of his more memorable rebukes to the scribes and the Pharisees for caring much more for their own vain traditions than they did for the actual law of God. We looked at it last week. He made certain that they knew that sin came from within a man. 
So there really was no such thing as men, women, wearing this flesh, ever somehow living in isolation from it. He openly despised their self-righteousness. And he made that clear every single time he spoke to them. And it's on the heels of all of these events, Jesus was apparently seeking some quiet away from those gathering crowds. However, Mark makes it very clear that that was not going to happen. Because the truth was, the Son of God could not be hidden from the eyes of faith. Which, of course, brings us to this woman. Mark makes very clear from the text that this woman is not one of the Jewish people. As I said, she's a Syrophoenician or a Greek. Matthew refers to her in chapter 15 of his account of this as a Canaanite woman. Again, we are not told her name or her sister or her history or how it was that she came to be seeking the Lord in the first place. Just her desperate situation and her national descent. She was a Gentile. A woman in the eyes of the world who was of very little consequence. However, beloved, I think there is far more for us here than we could ever imagine that there would be from such a seemingly inconsequential person and her encounter with the Lord of glory. Because she clearly displays the traits that are associated with true faith as she approaches Jesus. And she's not only commended by Jesus himself, but her petition is heard by him and very mercifully Answered by him. He gives her what she's seeking. She displays faith in Jesus Christ in a few different ways, though Mark here only tells us that she simply fell at the feet of Jesus and she asked that he might remove or drive this evil spirit from her daughter. Which I would say speaks volumes on its own, doesn't it? Matthew's account has a little more detail of the actual narrative that took place between Jesus and this woman. In Matthew chapter 15, we are told that she called on Jesus, referring to him specifically as, O Lord, the Son of David. We've talked about that particular title before. We are reminded of that blind beggar, Bartimaeus, who immediately recognized who it was who was approaching him on the street that day when he referred to Jesus as the promised son of David. And all these examples of genuine faith that we find recorded for us in the Gospels, we see this immediate recognition of the absolute and complete authority and identity of the Messiah in the one who possesses true faith. They know who Jesus is, and they acknowledge who he is. He alone is the king of kings. And it was a mark of faith. The Roman centurion, the beggars on the roadside, this very woman who really had no way of knowing the scriptures very well at all. Certainly not exhaustively. Not like the scribes and the Pharisees supposedly did. All of them knew in their hearts exactly who they were approaching with their request. This is the Son of God, the promised Messiah of Israel. 
the one who had come to save his people. This is the Christ. We see the beginnings of not only that certain knowledge in these examples of faith, but also that hearty trust that the one whom they approached was able to do exactly what needed to be done. This woman, who we know was a Gentile, a Greek, a pagan, a Canaanite, upon seeing or upon hearing of the work of Jesus Christ, recognized by the grace of God that this was indeed the Messiah. And it's an important point to take notice of. Something that we need to think about. Jesus was not working miracles among the Jewish people to simply astound or to astonish them. He was not trying to garner for himself a solid fan base. His goal was not to see how big of a crowd he could gather in terms of number. He had come to call his people home. His miracles were always directed towards a greater purpose than just some random show of power. Their design was to point them to the fact that he was the redeemer, the restorer of Israel, the promised son of David. And though he had been showing the Jewish people these miracles, we know that not all of them were impressed by him, were they? In fact, we are constantly told that these crowds were divided between those who hung on every word that fell from the master's lips And those who by those very same words were driven even further away towards wrath. As they sought to bring only deadly, wicked accusations against this supposed worker of wonders. There was a divide among the Jewish people who witnessed these miracles of Jesus. And we learn that same divide would exist also with the Gentiles. Some would be quickened by the grace of God and some would simply become more and more irritated by his presence among them. We still see it today, don't we? The gospel goes out. Faith receives it and praises God while faithlessness is repelled by it and curses God. This woman apparently belongs to that first group as she humbly yet boldly approaches the Messiah with her request. Bringing with her only this trace of genuine faith, despite her unworthiness to approach, such greatness has stood before her. And it brings me to the first thing that I would like for us to consider about the tie between true faith and our approach towards Almighty God that I think we see here. And it's this. Faith always leads us to Jesus Christ and through him to prayer leads us to Jesus and through him to prayer. This woman is undoubtedly a woman who is in deep affliction because of the severity of suffering endured by her daughter. Again, we know very little, but we do know at least that her daughter has been plagued by an evil spirit. And this woman knew things. She knew that no amount of proper teaching or even proper thinking or 
the repetitions of incantations spewed out by superstitious fools could ever truly cure her beloved daughter of this affliction. There was no cure. She could not just be educated into having a peaceful mind. There was no medicine that could cure her ailment. When it came to the restoration of her daughter's broken mind and body, this mother knew that the only hope was the Messiah, the Son of David, God in flesh. And so she does what her daughter could not do for herself. She comes and she falls at the feet of Jesus and she pleads for mercy on her daughter's behalf from one whom she undoubtedly recognized as merciful. Beloved, do you understand? There is so much for us to consider here. I hope you're already being led down towards some sobering reflection on the many deep and wonderful truths of the Word of God which are contained in this very simple, straightforward narrative that we find here in Mark. We, of course, are only just scratching the surface of it this morning. It's always my hope that you'll spend some more time in it this afternoon or perhaps even throughout the week to come. But I would just point out a couple things to you here. First, we see clearly here the tie that faith should lead us to Jesus and, of course, to prayer. This woman recognizes who it is that she's bowing before and she, looking for mercy, falls at the feet of the merciful one. There are undoubtedly many things she could ask. It's clear she's not here just for the mere granting of wishes. She's not here because she's intrigued with the novelty of the supernatural power that had been on display so recently in Galilee. But she's here because she knows that the troubled life of her daughter depends, absolutely depends on this one showing her kindness. She's here to intercede on behalf of her child. And she will not and she cannot be thwarted from coming to Jesus. It's one of the things that faith does. It it embraces the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it does not leave us unaffected. It fills us with love for God to be sure, which compels us to seek out sweet communion with Him. But it also drives us toward love for others. And I think we see that here. Love for others that is selfless. The heart of faith is moved to petition the throne of grace for others. Beloved, do you see that here? Do you understand this? Think for a moment about your own lives. I'm asking you, do you know this kind of prayer? Prayer where your heart cries out to God on behalf of someone other than yourself. Prayer driven by love. Love that's not dependent upon the behavior or the circumstance or even the the personality of another, but it's driven by that first great fruit of the Spirit that we call love. Faith 
in Jesus Christ drives us to seek the Lord in communion, to pray. Do you pray for the people of God? I really want us to think on this this morning. It's something that is just so easily brushed aside in this self-obsessed culture that we're living in. And I know I could say that about the culture of the world and no one would disagree, but unfortunately, it becomes the culture of the church far more often than it should. I'm talking about us. I think Scripture points it to us points us towards it continually. Are you praying for this body of believers that the Lord has called you to worship with each Lord's Day? Look around the sanctuary. I want you to ask yourself a question. As you look around, do you really know what's going on in the lives of your brothers and sisters in Christ? Do you really know Do you know who is quietly, silently hiding their grief this morning? Do you know who's had a difficult diagnosis this past week? Do you know who's wrestling with faith itself? Or whose job is maybe in jeopardy? Or whose child has veered from the path of safety and even now is hurtling headlong towards destruction. Do you know? Do you know what's going on in the lives of the people that you consider yourself to be an integral part of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ with? Do you know? Do you pray? Do you care? Let me ask you this. If you don't know, why? Why do you not know? Do you hide your pain from everybody else and expect everybody to hide their pain from you? Because we know this world is broken. We are broken. The world is broken. We desperately need to lift one another up before the throne of grace. Why aren't we doing it if we're not doing it? Do you truly believe that even in the church it's okay for it to be every man for himself? You handle your trouble, I'll handle my trouble. I'll pray for me and mine, you pray for you and yours. Let's not let the ugliness out of the box. Never let anyone see you sweat, right? Or is it something else that keeps you from being involved? Are you overly judgmental perhaps or even self-righteous intent on doing people further driving people further and further into themselves like you yourself do I don't want to veer too far off course here but I ask these questions because I want you to think about your own practices in prayer and what they truly are faithful prayer is not self-absorbed You understand, I've said it many times, this isn't part of your own little spiritual odyssey. This isn't just your personal journey. This is the people of God. These are those who truly belong to the household of faith 
And in the household of faith, we pray for one another. We open up to one another. We get involved with one another. We lift one another up in prayer because faith drives us to it. It drives us to pray for others. It moves us towards that genuine love for God and for our fellow image bearers. Of course, there's much more here, right? We also see here a mother seeking the Lord on behalf of her daughter. And certainly I hope that's one we can all relate to. I can look around this sanctuary this morning. I see the faces of many mothers and fathers in the faith, not just parents of actual descendants, but even spiritual mothers and fathers. We've been blessed with a church full of children, right? Hasn't always been the case. We are full of kids. They make noise. They touch the windows. They bang doors. We, we know that there are kids here, right? Their presence is felt by all of us. Do you cry out to God for them? Do you pray for the restoration of the hearts of these children? Do you cry out to God for the deliverance from their bondage to sin into the glorious freedom and the sweet liberty of life in Jesus Christ? Brothers and sisters in Christ, I pray that we do. We get so easily distracted from what truly matters in this life. It's so easy for us to make sure our kids are doing those things that at least look right. That they're learning to be respectful, that they're taking their education seriously. We pray they'll become hard workers, that they'll get accepted into the right schools, that they will find the best possible careers. That they'll find the right spouse, that they'll bring honor to our family's names and not shame. They'll make us proud. We spend so much of our energy in making sure that our kids have everything that we did not have. That their paths are easier than our own. That they are comfortable and happy. But do you relate at all to the prayer of this poor, humble, Syrophoenician woman? Because this is the prayer of faith. She is not at all concerned with any of that stuff for her daughter. She's not concerned about her name or her reputation or the way that people perceive her. Her sole purpose in running to the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ is the restoration of her daughter's soul. And it's a prayer of desperation. You recognize that, right? There is no other hope for this woman. Nothing else matters. There's no other means of her daughter's restoration than the Lord Jesus Christ. And so she runs to him and she falls at his feet and she pleads for mercy. Coming in humility as a sinner herself. With no misconceptions about who she is. Trusting entirely in the mercy of the Savior to bring this request from her heart into being. Parents, you could do no greater service for your children than this. You can do many things for them. You can even fool yourself into believing that the more you give them, the more evident your love. But if you do not see their need for a heart that sings with joy 
because of the salvation that is theirs in Jesus Christ, then the truth is real biblical love, the love we all so desperately need, has never even entered the building. What good does it do them to give them the world, yet watch oblivious as their souls veer towards a path that looks great and leads straight to hell? Can you relate to this woman? Are you praying for the souls, the right hearts, the right minds, minds that have been transformed by the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ? You know, I think of my own father and all that he did to bless me in this life. I talk about him enough. He passed on to me his wisdom of all things mechanical. He passed on to me a a healthy respect for authority that has translated in so many areas of this life. He passed on the ability to to work hard, to have a good work ethic. He passed on his knowledge of so many things. And I want to tell you, as a kid, he made me secure in so many ways. And yet, as heroic as my father was in my eyes, the one thing that I needed more than anything else, he was not able to give me. And you are not able to give it to your kids. Because it comes from the hand of our Heavenly Father. The gift of faith that allows us to embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ. And all that that entails. You know, I praise God to know that in my family there were those who faithfully prayed for the salvation of my soul. Even if not especially when I was at my worst. I saw one of my cousins uh, last night at a cookout and he was a guy that He knew the path I was on and he was on his face before God for me. And I couldn't understand it. I didn't know what his problem was. Rather than seeing my obvious sin as a deterrent from hope, it spurred these people in my life on to cry out even more, knowing that Almighty God is a God of mercy. That he came to save the lost, which I was making very evident that I was a part of. Are you praying for the salvation of these children? Brothers and sisters in Christ, love for our kids is never so evident as when we go before the glorious throne of grace on their behalf, doing what they so often in their sin cannot do. Never losing hope, Trusting the mercy of God, no matter how dire the situation looks to human eyes, there is always hope where there is faith in Jesus Christ. And it leads me to the one final thing that I would like to point out to you this morning. We see in this woman of faith, I think, a beautiful picture of what real, faithful perseverance before the throne of grace looks like. Do you notice it here? She pleads before the Son of God, and the answer that she receives had to have been a far cry from what she was hoping to hear from Jesus Christ. She desperately begs on behalf of her daughter, and she does it again and again. Mark talks about repetition. This is going on. She's fervently coming before Jesus, asking him to remove this spirit. And this is what Jesus says. The children, that is the Jews, are to be filled first. For it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to other people's children. That's, that's not what he says. He says, 
It's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. That is Gentiles like this woman. And I can tell you, you will try in in vain to find in the Greek some other possible meaning to soften the words of Jesus here. He said little dogs, and he meant her and other Gentiles. Salvation was to the Jew first, then it was to the Greek. Jesus was first working his miracles among the Jews to call his chosen ones home. It's a derogatory term. However, it is filled with mercy as Jesus reiterates that the plan of salvation is not simply only for the Jews, but it is for the Gentiles as well. And the heart of this woman recognizes it immediately. And she says, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, make no mistake. I am one of the dogs. I'm undeserving to come to this glorious table of the Lord and plead for a loaf. I don't need a loaf. I do not belong yet because of the mercy of the master. Even the little dogs are able to sit under the table and eat the crumbs that fall from the children's loaves. Do you see the beauty in this? This woman in possession of faith recognizes the glory of the wonderful plan of salvation and her faith is displayed in her response to Jesus as her prayer is answered and her daughter is delivered. She persevered in prayer. She did not listen to her protesting flesh. She ignored her doubts. She went past her fears. She did not cling to her right to take offense. Oh, that we could get this one in our heads. We're offended by everything. She didn't take offense to Jesus upon her begging for mercy, calling her a dog. She did not come before the Lord making the issue her own work her own worth. Her reason that she should be counted worthy of this blessing or of gaining a hearing with the Lord. She does not kick at the idea that she is among the dogs. She trusts in the mercy of the Savior to pour out His grace even on the dogs. I almost named the sermon, Even the Dogs. Right? Even the dogs get this grace. Even you and I. Get this grace. At first plea, she gets nothing. And she perseveres in faith. Then she's told of her unworthiness to receive any blessing at all. And again, by faith, she perseveres. How often we get this wrong. We go to the Lord with the attitude that, look, we did A and B and C exactly right. So now we want to claim D as our reward. We've come to expect the Lord to answer us immediately in the way that we see fit. And when it does not go according to our plan, we we let it go. We grumble. We complain. We lash out. We shake our tiny fists in God's direction. And we wonder why he doesn't ever listen to us. We lash out looking for someone to blame for our misfortune. Someone to fix the problem immediately. Beloved, can you relate to this? I'm speaking from experience. Not experience of the Syrophoenician woman all too often, but the other way. 
This woman is in possession of the knowledge of who Jesus of Nazareth truly is. And she trusts that he is willing and able. And so she perseveres by the grace of God and argues, not on account of her worthiness to be there, not on account of her having done anything right. She makes her plea resting only in the merciful, wonderful, matchless grace of Almighty God. And she will not be stopped. She will not be offended. She will not presume her own will above the will of God. She knows full well who she is. A filthy sinner standing in the need of God's grace. And she knows who Jesus is. The only one to give her the grace that she so desperately needs. The only one who would willingly take upon himself the sin of the world, her sin, and her daughter's sin. The one who, though innocent, of ever breaking the holy law of God, would receive upon himself the full penalty that we deserve, that she deserved for our law-breaking. The one who would receive the full wrath of God poured out on himself, all in order to purchase his beloved bride, the church. She cannot be offended because she knows exactly what she's bringing to the table, that she deserves wrath. But she's crying out at the feet of the one who gives grace to those who have been called according to his purpose. To those in whom God has been working out his perfect will for his own majestic glory. Because of the gift of faith given to her, she will do nothing other than persevere in her intercession for her own daughter. Beloved, this is the way in which those who have faith approach prayer both for ourselves and for others. I say we because only one who has looked at his own heart with eyes that truly see because of the gift of faith in Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit can then look at the hearts of others and truly cry out to God for them. If you've not recognized that when it comes to worthiness that you are but a dog, then you really have no room to look past your own heart this morning. And only once you have will you look at the needs of those who surround you, both in your own families, in the family or the household of God. Do you pray for those sitting around you this morning? For those who you wish were in their right minds, do you look to God praying in faith, trusting that there's no need for you to place a limit on the time frame in which God will work? Our lives are but a breath. And if we spend all of our time crying out for the salvation of others, we will not have wearied ourselves in the least. Will you trust, not in the worthiness that you bring to the feet of the Lord at the throne of grace, but in his abundant mercy that will allow even the dogs to catch the crumbs of the children's food and be fed? Because that is exactly what faith will do. Beloved, let us be those who pray in faith, who recognizing what we truly have in Jesus Christ, recognizing our union with him by faith, that we will be those who never grow weary of crying out to him that has revealed himself as truly merciful. Amen.